morning, church. This is Psalm 51, verses 1 through 12. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Well, hey, good morning, everyone, and welcome in. So glad that you're part of our online worship service this morning. It's good to be with you. My name is Matt. I'm one of the pastors here at FBC and just want to welcome you and also say happy Father's Day to all the fathers here. We're so glad that you are with us. And hey, a couple quick announcements before we jump into the sermon. There are a couple things I just wanted to update you on. First, thank you to those of you that filled out our online survey. Again, we put out a regathering survey just to try and hear from you kind of your uh, comfort level with returning to the building, the concerns that you had, or uh, what your thoughts were there. So thank you for filling that out. That was really helpful for our staff and board to look at and read through and see. And, and just so you know, there was a really a mixed bag of responses where some of you were like, we're ready now, or we wish we were back last week, and, and some that are, are uh, definitely still cautious or have concerns, and so kind of all over the board, although in general, a church leaned more on the cautious, concerned side. And so just wanted you to know, we, we got the survey results, we took a look, um, and that is factoring into our decision as we plan and want to make uh, decisions that are wise and safe for all of us. So right now, again, we're still uh, online only, as you've seen in the news this week. There's, uh, again, further complications with, with mask requirements and things like that. And so we're, we're not out of the woods yet. And I know that this is hard for some of us. We're going to continue to be patient and navigate this together. So I just want to say thank you for filling out the survey. Uh, the second thing I wanted to uh, say is that, hey, I, I know we're having a lot of conversations in our culture about race and racial issues in our country. And as a church, our leadership team has been having those conversations uh, as our pastors, our staff, um, our board. Actually, we took two nights recently to do some training on cultural conversations and, and race and faith and the church. And so we actually had a member of our church, Andre, uh, come in who is uh, involved in a number of, of parachurch uh, ministries in the community. It has a lot of experience leading conversations about race, about uh, culture, and the church. And so he and his crew came in and, and did a training for our leadership team, which was really helpful just as a, a way to start the conversation. Again, this is a long process. We believe this is a, a kingdom reality, a kingdom issue, and not just some like cultural thing that's popped up for a couple weeks and then we're going to forget about. We think this is something that's very close to the heart of God, racial reconciliation and unity. And so we want to continue to learn as a church how to think about that, talk about that, uh, step into that. And so um, what 
we're going to do is I wanted to let you know that on our connection card, um, there is a way for you to express interest. If you want to know more about uh, hey, resources in the area of racial reconciliation, um, books to look at, uh, if you wanted to talk with staff about that or know about more learning opportunities coming up in the months uh, ahead, go on the connection card. You can check that box. That way we know we can get you some of those resources and let you in on some of those things that are going to be coming up. So I just wanted to point, that, uh, point you to that. And then the last thing I wanted to say here uh, is, as it is Father's Day, it seems uh, quite appropriate to let you know that uh, Amber is pregnant. Yeah. So if, if we were in the room here right now, people would be going, woo, hey, that's exciting, awesome. But it's just me in an empty room now. So I trust that wherever you are at home, you're excited with us. And we just wanted to let you know as our church family that, yeah, another Scrabeck baby is on the way. Amber's about uh, 18, 19 weeks along. And uh, I know what you're thinking, and the answer is no. This was not a result of the coronavirus lockdown and us being stuck at home with nothing to do. Okay, we actually <laughs> found out about this before the lockdown happened. You know, it was something that we, uh, yeah, we are excited about, and uh, another baby is, is on the way. So I wanted to celebrate that with you. Uh, with all of that being said, uh, would you join me uh, in a word of prayer as we get ready to jump in? Father, we thank you for the gift of your word, and we come with humble hearts to learn, to draw near to you, to let you speak into our lives and change us and convict us and lead us. So God, would you teach us as we open up your word? Uh, we love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, maybe you've heard of the HBO miniseries, True Detective. It's rather dark, but in it, Matthew McConaughey plays a lead detective in Louisiana who is the go-to interrogator for their department. He's able to get confessions out of almost anyone. And so they always send him in to talk to those who have committed crimes to get their confession. And people asked him in the show, hey, how do you do it? How are you so good at getting confessions out of people? And his response was this. He said, look, everybody knows that there's something wrong with them. And everyone, excuse me, they just don't know what it is. Everybody wants confession, especially the guilty and everybody's guilty. He says, look, everybody knows that there's something wrong with them, and everybody wants confession. Do you agree with that? See, there's been a trend in church world uh, recently, in the past several decades, actually, that says we're going to move away from talking about uh, sin or judgment or wrath or some of those uncomfortable topics because they're uncomfortable and maybe a bit out of step with culture and what people want to hear. And instead, we're going to emphasize things like love and grace and mercy and focus on more positive things. Maybe you've noticed a trend like that in church world. But philosopher James K.A. Smith challenges that trajectory and says that might not actually be as helpful or right as we think. And he says this in one of his books, what if the opportunity to confess is precisely what we long for? 
What if an invitation to confess our sins is actually the answer to our seeking? What if we want to confess our sins and didn't even realize it until we were given the opportunity? In other words, what if confession is unwittingly the desire of every broken heart? Friends, this morning we are continuing our summer series we've called Learning to Pray, where we're preaching through the Psalms and seeing how the Psalms can, can teach us about prayer and shape how we pray in different ways. And specifically, we're looking at prayers of confession this morning and using Psalm 51 as our guide. Would you join me in Psalm 51? We're going to walk through it together. It starts out like this in verse 1. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Psalm 51 is a psalm of David, King David. And in your Bible, you might see a historical note at the beginning of the psalm that gives us the historical context for when this was written. This took place right after David committed adultery with Bathsheba. And many of us know the story from the Old Testament, from the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 11 and 12, where King David is supposed to be off at war, but instead he's at home hanging out on his roof and he sees the beautiful Bathsheba bathing. Her husband is off at war, actually fighting for King David. David sees her and he has his servants bring her to him so that he can sleep with her. He forces himself on her. She becomes pregnant. David kills her husband, takes Bathsheba as his wife. I mean, the thing is a mess. And he's then confronted by Nathan, the prophet, who points out his sin, his adultery, his murder, and David realizes what he has done. And he's convicted in his heart. And this psalm is his response. And what we see in Psalm 51 is, of course, David's response to his sin, a prayer of confession. But we see how broader strokes about the human condition and the reality of sin in each of our lives. And this can serve as a template for how we think about sin and confession and relationship with God. And we see the heart of it, verse 3. He says, my transgressions and my sin is always before me. David uses a couple different words here to talk about his sin and offense before God. And they're nearly synonymous, but you notice in verse 1 and then verse 3, he asks God to blot out his transgressions. Transgressions, that word carries the idea of breaking a law or crossing a line or rebelling. In verse 2, he talks about his Iniquity, that's a word for depravity or something that is crooked or, or twisted. It wasn't pure, it was tainted. In verse 2 and verse 3, he mentions again his sin, which is a more general term that maybe we're a little bit more familiar with. A term that talks about missing the mark, a general offense to God. So a few different terms here, but all getting at the same 
idea. Sin is when we fail to obey and honor God. We break His commands in our words, in our thoughts, in our actions, sometimes in really visible ways like forcing yourself on a married woman and killing her husband. But it also is often in in less obvious ways, in hidden places in our hearts that are subtle or overlooked. Our proud self-reliance, our lack of trust, our desire to be our own master and savior rather than God. Despite our tendency to want to not talk about sin or not talk about judgment and talk about happier things, the Bible has a lot to say about sin and it's really important. We have to look at it clearly. The doctrine of sin in Scripture uh, reveals several things. First, sin is universal. We all have it and deal with it. Look at verse 5 in the text. David says, I was sinful at birth. Okay, so, so out of the gate, I was born in sin. All people are sinners. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so some of us want to think that, you know what, some people are like real bad apples and have gone astray and they're the real big sinners. But most of us are genuinely good. But the Bible actually shows us that that is not the case. We all have this sin nature that we are born with after the fall because of the original sin of Adam and Eve. We now have this bent, this direction towards sin. Sin is universal. Second, sin is a condition of the heart. Jesus says this much in Mark chapter 7. This is really important. Mark chapter 7, verse 21. He says, For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, Murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside. So again, contrary to common opinion today, we're not corrupted from the outside or we just break a few laws out there, but inside we're still really good people. No, Jesus is actually the problem is in here. Sin comes up out of our hearts. It's not something out there, it's something within here, within each of us that has gone wrong. And so we all have this disposition within, this bent, again, away from God and away from God's ways. Our nature is prone to sin. So sin is universal, sin is a condition of the heart, and then this condition of the heart results in specific actions. It takes outward actions where we break God's law and his commands, we lie, we cheat, we steal, and plenty else. So the doctrine of sin tells us that we are all sinners, both by nature and by choice. Now, I've actually found it really interesting, if we pay attention to what's going on in our country and this cultural moment that we're living through, I've seen that that modern Western people are showing that they believe in the reality of sin more than they realize. Many people in our, in our culture today actually believe in the reality of sin more than they realize, even if they would call themselves atheists or agnostics or would deny the concept of sin or say, hey, we're mostly all good people or uh, we all should just follow our own compass and we're going to figure 
it out, they actually believe in sin more than they realize. And here's what I mean. We live in a selfie culture. We live in a you-do-you world where individual freedom, uh, self-expression, subjective morality is the rule of the day. And so if there is a God, many would say, if there is a God, uh, he's cool. He's cool with you, no matter your choices. So just do whatever you want. Live how you want. Be happy, and God's fine with that. But, But now we're seeing in our country at large, because of the racial injustice that we've seen, people, not just Christian people, all people are crying out for justice. They're rightly calling out for justice, for racial justice, calling all people, all people, to this objective moral standard of equality, of human dignity, pointing out the sin, the evil of racism and and prejudice. And so think about that. People who would deny sin and say, hey, we're mostly all good people, and just, hey, you do, you do whatever you want, are now saying, actually, no. There is a way that we ought to live. There is a, a way that society ought to function. There is a standard of morality that we all are to conform to. Even though some people might not want to conform to it, we all need to conform to this objective moral standard. And we can talk about and see the evil and the sin that results in individuals or in society when we stray from those standards. Do you notice that? So what many people don't realize is that those convictions about objective moral standards, those convictions about uh, justice and righteousness, and morality in our country do not naturally spring up out of atheism. If you were an atheist or, or a secular person, so there's, there's no God, it's just survival of the fittest, these convictions about justice and morality and these objective standards that we're all supposed to abide by, it doesn't spring up out of a naturalist worldview or a secular worldview or an atheist worldview. Those convictions make sense in light of a Christian worldview formed by Scripture with a good, righteous God who has given us his creation, standards, laws that we are to obey and follow. And so friends, I just want to point out that I think many of us believe in sin and the reality of sin, even if we don't realize it, or even if we would push back on that doctrine, we often buy into it. And the Scriptures teach it. Now, notice here with me that in verse 4, this prayer of confession shows us that sin is not just a horizontal affair. It's not just against people. Look at verse 4. It says, Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Against you have I sinned, God. And so we would read that and say, Well, what about Bathsheba? What about her husband? I mean, killed the dude, took his wife. That's surely a sin against him and against her. That's true. And the Bible doesn't deny that, but he's he's pointing us here to this deeper reality of sin. Yes, it harms others, but ultimately it is offensive to God. And we sin against God when we take matters into our own hands. We say, we're in charge. We're going to do things our way, God. We're not going to follow your rules. It's a rebellion against him. And there are consequences for this sin. It separates us from God. It brings judgment before God. 
The famous Baptist preacher C.H. Spurgeon put it this way. He said, Oh, my dear hearers, do ask yourselves whether you have sorrowed for sin because it is sin against God. For any hypocrite is sorry for sin which injures himself or which may damage his reputation among men. But the essential thing is to be sorry because the evil is a wrong done to God. Saying, I want you to see sin is not just uh, something that damages you or your reputation and not just does it hurt other people. Sin is a wrong and evil done to God. Does anyone here have an intimidating father-in-law? You know, when you first started uh, dating that woman, that girl in your life, that their dad tries to scare you. Thankfully, I am so fortunate to have an incredible father-in-law who I'm sure could intimidate me and scare me if he wanted to. He absolutely could, but he has been nothing but kind and gracious and encouraging uh, through and through. So very grateful for that. Or maybe you're here and you're, you're a dad. Happy Father's Day again. And uh, you have a daughter and you think about what that day will be like when someone wants to date your daughter and you're like, you make jokes about shotguns or going back to prison or things like that. You're like, right, you, you want to intimidate that person. You say, what? If, if you hurt her, you don't have a problem just with her. You have a problem then with me. That's what a good father does. Hey, if you hurt my kids, if you hurt my daughter, you have a problem with me. So God, as a good father, says, hey, if you harm my world, If you harm my children, yes, that is a sin done against them, but ultimately that is a sin against me. And you have a problem with me because of that. It's a big deal. And friends, what I want us to do here is just encourage us for a moment to get specific. I want to encourage you to get specific about the sin in your life because what I don't want is us first to hear a sermon on sin and say, "Well, well, that's something great for my kids to hear. Thank you, Pastor, for telling my kids about sin that they need to realize. Or this is a really good message for my, my husband to hear or my, my wife to hear. God, really glad they're listening to this right now. Now, we need to think about not just sin in theory and not along the doctrine of sin. Yes, yes, sin. All have sinned. Yes, I agree. But how is there sin in our lives? Right? In your life. In my life. What is the sin that God wants to bring up that God wants us to see in our hearts, that God wants us to confess. And maybe we could just use uh, the Mark chapter 7 passage we read a few minutes ago that Jesus used to talk about this this list of sins, to kind of take an inventory of do we see these in our lives. Mark chapter 7 verse 21, Jesus talks about sexual immorality. That's a sin. Any sexual activity outside of God's standard of a man and a woman in marriage. So pornography or anything else. Adultery. He says that specifically he says theft, murder, greed. Anyone here been greedy? Malice and deceit. Lewdness, envy, slander. Arrogance or folly. I know as I look on this list, uh, a number of those could apply to me, or have applied to me in the past. And one of my most frequent prayers before the Lord is, God, would you help me see? 
It's so easy to be blind to our own sin. It's so easy to justify our own actions. It's so easy to fool ourselves. But a simple prayer we can pray is, Lord, help me see. Help me see the sin that I need to confess. Help me see the sin that I need to repent of. I've seen in my own life, again, this week as I've been preparing to teach this, God's brought up my pride. God's shown me uh, how I've mistreated people, my wife, my kids, uh, people in my past. And friends, one thing I want to speak to really briefly here in the area of confession and sin is something I've noticed in, in our culture right now. Again, we're having all these conversations about race and racism in our country, and there's tension over that. And many of us I've seen be dismissive. I've seen many people have calloused hearts towards the black community. And I believe there's a need for confessing that sin and repenting of it. How many of us have just, just ignored racial issues in our country? We've dismissed them. We haven't wanted to talk about them. We've chosen not to see them. And friends, hear me well. I think we, in general, as a church, as a people, are, are kind, are loving people. We don't see demonstrations or examples of overt racism that we're acting out. But, but many of us, often white evangelical Christians, have found a way, some of us, to sort of stiff-arm the conversation. Again, as I said a few weeks ago, just kind of yeah-but the conversation. Yeah, what happened is tragic, but it's not part of a bigger issue, or these are isolated incidents, or these issues are uh, from the black community. Black-on-black crime is worse, or they have all these problems that they need to deal with. It's not our problem. It's not my problem. We kind of try and remove ourselves from the conversations. I don't have to worry about that. I don't have to think about that. That's their problem. I don't have to examine my own heart or my own place in society and think about how that might have contributed to what is going on. I've been dismissive. And friends, as we have these conversations and as we learn and as we grow as a church family and as a culture, we're going to make mistakes. We're going to say things that we wish we wouldn't have said. We're going to have to figure out how to talk about this. And we're going to have, uh, if we're new to this, kind of... Uh, stumble a little bit along as we go, and that's okay. It's part of it. But what's not okay is to refuse to engage the conversation. The sin that we can't fall into is just dismissiveness, just a calloused heart. Let's just call it what it is. Dismissiveness and a hard heart towards the black community and their plight is sin. It's sin. It, it dishonors God. It's an offense against God, and there's no place for it in the church. So friends, some of us need to repent and to confess and walk forward with a soft heart. So friends, a lot of talk about sin so far this morning, but not as much talk about what to do about sin which is where we're going now. What do we do with our sin? Well, verse 1 of Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Then verse 7. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have crushed rejoice. 
Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. What does David do with his sin? He confesses it and he cries out to God for mercy. Notice he doesn't plead his case or try to rationalize his sin. He doesn't say, well, I'm sorry, but it really wasn't that big of a deal. Or I'm, I'm only human. You know, I didn't choose to have these strong sexual impulses. So when I saw Bathsheba, I, I couldn't help myself. It's not really my fault. Why was she bathing out in clear view? Anyways, it was hot outside. I had a moment of weakness. I'm sorry, it's not that big of a deal. No, there's none of that. There's no excuses. What does he say instead? He says, verse one, have mercy That is the cry of someone who knows they have no leg to stand on here. God, have mercy on me. I know I'm in the wrong. I know I've failed. God, would you be gracious and merciful to me because of your steadfast love? Notice that he points out God's steadfast, unfailing love. And so his argument is not, hey, the sin isn't really that bad. His argument is actually, God, I know that you are so good. So I can call sin what it is and also cry out for your mercy and I know that you are a God of love and forgiveness. So God, would you be gracious to me? And he identifies his sin, again, a few different terms here. He talks about uh, blotting out his sin. Like take the record book and blot out, erase my wrongs. Wipe away the list of my sins, God. Verse two and seven, he says, wash me or cleanse me. The verb here used for to wash is sometimes used in Scripture as you know, explaining like cleaning a dirty garment. Or cleansing here carries the idea of the Old Testament sacrificial system, a process of being washed from sin and anything that would make you unclean so that you could then be clean and enter God's presence. And so for David, rather than pretending he's not unclean or he's not smelly, he's not dirty, he just says, I need a shower. I'm not going to ignore my sin. I'm going to bring it to God and ask for him to cleanse me. And so friends, I want us to see what if acknowledging our sin and confessing our sin was not a topic that we are to avoid or be uncomfortable about, but confession and acknowledging our sin honestly was seen as a gift. A gift. Because it seems like sometimes within the church and especially outside of the church, the message that people want to send is there's nothing wrong with you. It's no problem here. We're all pretty much okay. Focus on how great you are. But what if freedom, what if true life is found not in denying your sin or avoiding your sin or pretending that it's not there, but it's found in recognizing it, confessing it, and then experiencing forgiveness for it? That's the hope of the gospel. Not that we're not sinful, but that we are sinful and that God forgives us and cleanses us and gives us new hearts. So friends, I don't want to shame you or scare you or make your burden heavier. I want to help all of us experience freedom. Look at what David wrote also in Psalm 32. He says, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. Day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. 
Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. So do you you see what David's saying? He's saying, hey, when I held my sin inside and I kept my sin in the dark and I tried to avoid it or tried not to talk about it or didn't want to bring it out in the open, I was burdened. I was wasting away because of that. God, your hand was heavy upon me. But then I confessed. Then I brought it to the light. I was able to put that burden down and experience freedom and forgiveness. David recognizes this. So he says, God, wash me, cleanse me. And I hope that that would be our prayer as well. And the forgiveness that David experienced and God's grace in the Old Testament sacrificial system was a shadow of the work of Jesus to come. Friends, now we're on this side of the cross and we can look back and see the ultimate cleansing and forgiveness that was provided for us, and that was the work of Jesus. Jesus came to be the once-for-all sacrifice for the sins of the world. He was the perfect sacrifice. Without sin, our sin was placed on him that we would no longer bear it because he carried it for us. Hebrews 9 in the New Testament says that if the blood of an animal sacrifice brought cleansing for the people, how much more will the blood of Jesus wash and cleanse us now? He alone can remove our sin. And the hope of the Old Testament, whether it's this psalm or Ezekiel chapter 11 or Ezekiel chapter 36, or other prophets, was that God would give us new hearts, that God would change us from within and help us obey. And now in Christ, the New Testament shows us that we have been given new hearts. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says, if we are in Christ, we are a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. So these promises of a new heart transformation within is now possible because of Jesus when we put our trust in him. So if the bad news is that we have sinned against God, the good news is that God loves us and in Christ we are made clean. And you see this transformation language in verse 10. What does David pray for? He says, create in me a pure heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. God, renew me. God, I don't just need an external washing. I need you to do something different within. My heart's the problem. So would you change me? When we come to Christ, we're given new hearts. We're given the Spirit of God within us. We're made new and have this new identity in Christ where we're no longer identified by our sin, but we're identified by our Savior. So friends, I want to encourage you to implement confession into your prayer life, to make it a regular practice, whether it's daily, whether it's weekly. Again, as a church, we'll talk about confession and how we can do corporate confession out loud together, but I want to encourage you and your prayer life as you spend time in God's Word to to take the step to simply ask the Lord, God, what do I need to confess to you? Help me see my sin. There might be times where you're you're painfully aware of your sin and you can bring that right to him in prayer and say, God, have mercy on me. Would you forgive me? Would you change me? Implement 
this practice into your regular prayer life. And it's not something, sometimes we think confession is something we do like at the beginning of our Christian life. Hey, we confess our sins, come to Jesus, and then we never have to do it again. But it's a continual process. And actually C.S. Lewis put it this way. He said, when a man is getting better, he understands more and more clearly the evil that is still left in him. When a man is getting worse, he understands his own badness less and less. So it makes sense that as you walk as a Christian and the Holy Spirit is active in your heart and pointing out sin and helping you see your needs more and more, you're going to be more aware of your sin, not less. So the need to confess will be even greater as you walk with the Lord. And friends, there's one last thing I want to see before we uh, take communion and confess our sins together. I want us to see the results of confession in the psalm. Okay, we read through verse 12. Now look at verse 13 with me. David says, Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. So he says, I need to be cleansed and I need to be forgiven and I need to be renewed and then God will use me to impact others. Then I will teach others. Then, God, you will use me to reach people with the gospel and make an impact in my community. So notice, personal renewal comes before corporate renewal or comes before impact in the world. God convicts us and changes us and then he uses us. But sometimes we want to skip the first step, don't we? Oh, we, we can point out the sins in the world. We can point out the problems in the world. We can point out the things that need to change. We want to make an impact, especially if we're young and we're idealistic. We want to change the world. But we don't always want to do the hard work of dealing with our own sin first. In our desk drawer, we own a lot of microscopes, but no mirrors. Friends, if you want to make an impact in the world, if you want to see God's kingdom come, you want to be used by God powerfully to advance the gospel, look in the mirror, deal with your own sin before the Lord, and then God will send you out. That's what David says. Confess my sin, have mercy on me, wash me, cleanse me, renew me. Then I will teach people about you. Then you will send me out. Friends, confession throughout Scripture and history is not, not just something that we do individually, although that should be a part of our individual prayer lives, confessing our sin before God. Confession is something that the church does together, where we, as, as the people of God, confess that we have sinned and need God's grace. We actually see that the corporate reality here in Psalm 51, in verse 18. It kind of ends with this word of, may it please you, Lord, to prosper Zion and build up the walls of Jerusalem. God, may you bless and prosper not just me, but Jerusalem, the city, the people of God. Represents all of God's people. So personal renewal and confession is not just about me, but it's about us as a people, honoring God and seeking to bless our world. And so historically, Confession has been done in, in worship services, especially before communion, where we acknowledge our sin before God. And here's the good news again. We acknowledge our sin and we don't stay there. We don't say, stay in despair 
We don't stay discouraged because of our sin. We acknowledge our sin. We confess it. And then we experience forgiveness. The assurance that we are forgiven and pardoned in Christ. And so friends, we have a chance to do that this morning. Uh, We're going to come to communion together. So if you have the elements now, I encourage you to to grab them. Uh, An element representing Jesus' blood and an element representing Jesus' body. On the night before Jesus, or the night where Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body given for you. We're going to hold it for just a moment before we take it. In the same way, he took a cup and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. And so just a moment, we're going to take these elements. But before we do, I want to give us a chance to practice confession. And so what we're going to do is just have a minute or two of of silence. And I want you just to examine your own heart. Ask God to help you see your sin and confess your sins before God. Ask for his forgiveness for the sins in your heart. And then in just a minute, we'll, we'll read a corporate confession out loud and we'll take the elements. All right, friends, well, now we're going to uh, read a confession out loud together. I'm going to encourage you, uh, wherever you are, you can stand if you'd like. Just, just read this out loud with me. Or we'll uh, together confess our sin before God. Merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. By what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. Amen. Well, friends, as we have confessed our sins, acknowledge together our need before the Lord, we now celebrate the assurance of pardon, the assurance of forgiveness that we have in Christ. And so we take these elements to remember Jesus' broken body for you. And in the same way, we take the cup, representing Jesus' shed blood for the forgiveness of your sins. Would you take with me?
Friends, would you join me in a word of prayer? Father, we thank you for your incredible grace and mercy that you have given to us. Through the person and work of Jesus Christ, you have brought us forgiveness of sins. You've given us new hearts. You've reconciled us to yourself. You've adopted us into your family. All these things are not our own doing, not as a result of works, but simply by your grace to be received by faith. God, we thank you for that and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, friends, hey, we are about to sing a closing song. Hope you'll join us at the after party, which again, is looking a little different this week, so hope you'll come and check it out. And if you have more questions about what it means to follow Jesus, what it means to put your trust in him and to receive his forgiveness, please fill out that connection card. Let us know because we'd love to follow up with you. All right, thanks, friends.